All right, here we go. We got a special one tonight. Little podcast preview. I'm just going to set up your menu tonight. Uh, at some point, we're getting into fears. Okay, I'm going to reveal my fear of the show Planet Earth. It's an abnormal fear, but that's a big fear. I think it taps into something big. Also, little fears, um, which is weird to talk about. I once opened this topic up with my students, and the things that people are scared about, it's interesting because most of us will never encounter any of it. For instance, um, if you have such an extreme fear of sharks, it is within your power to never have an encounter with a shark. You just avoid the ocean, correct? Nick Swartzen, the comedian, he said he thinks it's weird that people are scared of roller coasters. <laughs> it's not like you'll ever just wake up on a roller coaster. You actually have to get on it. Uh, mine, I got Shani in here. I got Mila in here. I got Muggsy in here. But mine is definitely snakes. And in the early part of our courtship, there's nothing you know anymore that's like a blind date. You Google the person, you hunt him down online. One of the first photos I ever saw of you was you holding your pet snake, Max, <laughs> over your face. Yeah. I liked every other photo, but that made me worried. I was like, what kind of animal is this? Um, you know that picture, right? Yeah. Would it have been a deal breaker if you wanted to have the snake in a... Is it a tank? Yeah. I guess in the bedroom? Terraria. Like when we moved in? If you're like, look, I got one demand. The snake in the terrarium stays. Would it have been a deal breaker if I said, no, it's my number one fear in life? Oh, my God. No, I'm sure we would have figured something out. All right. I hope so. Um, what's one of your little ones, though? My little, well. Just like a little unnatural fear of something that, of course, will never happen to you. But if it was to be on TV, it would freak you the fuck out. Oh, that will never happen to me? I mean, really, I'm never going to get bit by a rattlesnake. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I'm kind of scared of this adorable little baby on my lap because she fear of a baby she controls she does all of my sleep no i don't blame you but uh, that's actually a legitimate fear yeah exactly anybody who pretends they're not scared of their newborn is lying <laughs> that kid is gonna ruin your world i mean it'll also create probably the most loving feelings you'll ever have but <laughs> she has complete control over us though she does this, in this in this moment of her life so uh i'm scared of worms i'm scared of not knowing words at the doctor like percentile do you remember the first time we went to the doctor Yeah. and he started to reveal percentiles and I had to take a step back? Yeah. I, I was worried that I was going to be judged in that moment. <laughs> I said, doctor, before we continue, what is a percentile? Okay. You uh, said worms. You're scared worms. of. Yeah. I'm kind of scared of worms. I like, mean, they, they gross me out. Is that? Being close? grossed out. I don't know if it's the same thing as a fear. Like if a worm crawled in this room, would you freak out? Like would your yes. heart? Oh, you would. <laughs> All right. Then that's legit. And then what about a Just big thinking one? thinking about it made me... Yeah. When was the last time you even saw a worm? It's probably been years. Nah, well, I, I garden sometimes, or I used to. Oh. So there would be the occasional worm. When it rains, there's uh, worms on the sidewalks. That's true. You know when it rains, there's more skunks out in the suburbs? What? I don't know. I guess they come down from the hills. I didn't know that. I'm scared of skunks. There was a story. Are you scared of being sprayed by a skunk or? No, skunk? actually, I'm not scared of the the spray. I once read a story that a skunk bit a girl's thumb off, a little girl's thumb. And you never got over it. Am I making that up in my head? I got to Google if that's a real story. If I made that up, but yeah, I read that skunks bite. Um, oh yeah, so we'll cover some fears on the <laughs> podcast today, and also me hunting down Shani to find her snake pictures on Facebook before we really became a hot and heavy number. I actually don't know how long we've been together. Some couples, you know, celebrate it. I know when we got married, but has it been four, five, six years? So I think we got married four years in. Uh-huh. So now it would be, what, five and a half, over, a little over five and a half years? 
and everything. Is that is that true? Five and a half. I wish I remember. 2013. We should start cataloging this. <laughs> we should start, like, of all things that matter. Who cares, right? Who cares? Uh, but where we are right now, and let's be mindful, where we are right now is a second story of an apartment. The first story is an old Brazilian man who we call Faulo. Josh named him Faulo. I, I, I would tell you his real name, but I don't it understand be, anything he it says. It could be Faulo. It might be. His dog's name is Nina. I do know that. Yep. But the smell of cooking. That is coming from their apartment tonight. You wouldn't believe. Oh my God. Some people get grossed out by that. I think it's the greatest. Not their cooking. I want them to bottle it up. Yeah, put it in a candle. And they've offered us. We've never actually sampled it. They've knocked on our door, I think, when you're breastfeeding or when I'm like tired on the couch. Mm -hmm. And we look through the peephole as antisocial hermits. We don't answer. I rarely answer a knock on the door. It's a package usually or... We should, though. I know. Maybe I'd have some Brazilian food in my stomach more often if I answered the door sometimes. It smells so amazing. But now that you mention, because they are Brazilian, I couldn't understand the language at first. It's Portuguese, folks. <laughs> uh, what is Brazilian food? What does that even constitute? Of? I don't know. There's no I, Brazilian I, restaurants I, around us. I don't know us. that I've had straight Brazilian. All I can think of is the steakhouses. Where oh, I'm, good call. But good call. other than that, I feel like it. I'd only have, maybe I'd had like a Brazilian fusion something or other. No, that's a good straight call. Straight Brazilian food? But the Brazilian steakhouse is like Fogo de Chao. Have you ever been yeah. to a Fogo de Chao? No. You have to go out on a gurney. My sister has, She, I think she just went with my mom. The the you, there's a system actually with like cards on your table. And if you don't put the red light, I think it's either green light, red light. If the waiters see the green light, they keep carving keep big old pieces of meat. Oh I had God. such an ache. I almost took you there for your birthday. Well, let's do that next year. But I decided and let's Uber. probably didn't want to eat a pound of meat on your birthday. I do. Why? Who am I trying to impress anymore? We've no, been no. together for what? Four, <laughs> five, six, seven years? I don't know. Okay, so we're going to get started. It's a family podcast tonight. Uh, how are your levels? Check your levels. I'm going to make it sound like we understand what we're doing. How's your gain? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. All right. I don't really understand o'clocks. But uh, this is a treat. This is a real treat as I welcome my first co-host slash guest into the dojo, into the Here We Go podcast studios, the elaborate lab. Uh, and this was not an easy booking either. It sounds like it should be an easy booking. Because it's the person I cohabitate with. It's the person I married. Um, But when you become parents of a newborn, there's not a lot of time to just sit down and rap for about a half hour, 40 minutes, whatever it's going to take. So the idea is this podcast will be interrupted sporadically. I've already noticed it's me, Shani, a monitor, and the monitor has already gone out. The batteries have run out. So we've hit our first glitch. And before I even welcome you to the podcast, I want to know, should we charge that monitor? Yeah, I'll grab the adapter. Perfect. I'll be right back. No worries. We didn't even start yet. Okay, three, two, one. We're back in business. Good. We got a clear read on baby. And she's still sleeping. Okay, good. And you're allowed to exit at any time. And I don't even have to stall. Plus, if you say anything in the next half hour to 40 minutes that you regret, just ask me to delete it. That's how <laughs> podcasts work. It's so beautiful. Perfect. Although I don't think we'll need it. Okay. So, Shani is with me, and I am going to do a really long intro. It'll be like Mad Libs. You'll fill in the blanks. Answers I already know, but have always enjoyed hearing the answer to once other people ask you. So, a question as simple as, where are you from? 
for me, I say, you know, I'm from San Rafael, 20 minutes north of San Francisco, and it opens up a relatable discussion. You know, there are common things. People go, oh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Are you a Giants fan? Are you a Niners fan? Stinson Beach, Alcatraz. There's, you know, tourist landmarks. But when people say to you, Shani, where are you from? That's a tough question. So I'm just going to ask you straight up. Where are you from? Well, I kind of have to follow up when people ask me that with what part of my life, because I'm from Minnesota. I'm from Israel. But I've been in California for over a decade now, so... It's complex. Where am I from? Yeah. Well, let's just say coworker. So, like, the depth of the conversation, if you just had a coworker um, at San Francisco General Hospital, Shani's an occupational therapist, say, hey, where are you from, Shani? How do you answer that? I'd probably say Minnesota. And they'd follow up by saying, oh, Minneapolis, Vikings fan? Because we <laughs> go straight to the big city. And you would say... Not really. So where are you from? Oh, well, I'm from the northern part of Minnesota, rural Minnesota. Most people haven't heard of it. Tiny little town called Holly. Closer to Fargo, actually, than any town in Minnesota anyone's ever heard of. Boom. So this is exactly how the conversation goes. You go, actually, I'm closer to Fargo, which they go, Fargo? It's only because of the movie why that's a fascinating city. And then people go, have you seen Fargo, right? Which wasn't even filmed in Fargo. Hey, we already have our first fun fact. Fargo (laughs) is not filmed in Fargo. And it's weird to think I've been to Fargo because I married you. you. I went for 20 minutes. I went to a Mexican restaurant. Called Paradiso. Paradiso. What's their slogan? Chips are free. Dinner extra. That is it. And it's a red tinted restaurant. I don't know how they got guacamole on the table. It wasn't good. But we survived Mexican food in Fargo. All right, so at that point... Prepackaged guacamole <laughs> right. sent in from And I think they Guatemala. gave your two-year-old nephew a margarita. But why not? <laughs> we do things differently in North Dakota. So they would say, and I'm just taking this uh, through a normal conversation. You've probably had this conversation 1,000 times in your life. There's no common ground if you tell somebody, I'm from a little town closer to Fargo than Minneapolis. But... Do you know the population of your town that you're from? I think when I was there, it was 1,600. Okay, so this is Holly. This is Holly. H-A-W-L-E-Y, for those of you that are never going to Google this. It's it's expanded since I left. Maybe now it's 2,600 or 3,000. Whoa. Yeah, it's it's getting there. A bit of a boom. Yeah. Okay, so I've driven through Holly. It takes about six to seven seconds to see the whole town. And it almost looks like a Hollywood set for what a small town would look like. Yeah, the, yeah, I guess you could say that. I don't know. For me, it's just, it's the norm. It's normal. It's what I grew up with. So it's hard for me to see it from some outsider's perspective. It looks normal to you, but when we were at the Cal football game in Memorial Stadium in Berkeley, it holds about 60,000. If your population is 2,000, your entire town, the entire city you're from, could fit in the end zone bleachers yeah. in that stadium. It's wild to think about. But that's not exactly where you're from from. I want to get to where you're from from. So I'm, your name is Shani Ben Chaim. Yes, Shani Ben Chaim. I, I was born in Israel. Okay. So why from Israel at age one do you come to Holly? Well, uh, according to my parents, um, I, I had older siblings. So my sister was around six. My brother was around four. They were living on a kibbutz in Israel, which is kind of a small... Back then it was still somewhat of a socialist community. And uh, my, my mom wanted to leave the kibbutz life. She wanted something more uh, familiar to her, what she, you know, she's from L.A. and she grew up in Minnesota and, and living on a kibbutz. Um, Norwegian roots. Norwegian roots, right. yeah. So her family came from Norway. And um, 
my dad agreed, but he decided if she wanted to move to like a city in Israel that that was a little more um, the normal flow of, of life for how she knew it. And uh, my dad said, well, if we're going to move to a city, I think we should move to a city in America because it was kind of hard to get by in Israel at the time. The economy wasn't as good as it was here. And um, because my mom had a good support system in Minnesota, she had a lot of family there, we decided to come to Minnesota. So I tell the story, almost when I picture your family history, it sounds more like a movie script. So this is American woman uh, feeling adventurous. And plus, this is when you say kibbutz, but I picture just like commune hippie life, right? Yeah. Everybody working together, plucking fruit off of a tree, dancing around a campfire. Yeah. That's probably not accurate, but this is how it <laughs> unfolds in my mind. She meets a guy, your dad, falls in love, mm -hmm. has three kids, yep. all three in Israel, and then by 1983-84, they're moving this whole family back. 84, they put us all on a plane, and we came to Minnesota. Right. So saying, where are you from, Deshani, is the <laughs> longest answer, but it's a fascinating answer. I'm from Israel, grew up in Holly, and then came out to California. And your siblings have interesting stories as well, as does um, your mom, your dad. But when you went back to Israel later in life... Mm -hmm. And I don't even mean that first trip when you were like nine or 10 years old, yeah, but later birthright. in your yeah, birthright, adult years, the trip I did as well. Did you instantly feel like some sort of a connection to the land? Instantly, instantly. The minute I stepped off the plane, actually, the minute I got to the New York, uh, the gate to take me to Israel, I started to hear Hebrew uh -huh. and going from Minnesota, small town, Minnesota to San Luis Obispo. I hadn't heard much Hebrew. It, I, I'm not used to being surrounded by it. So when I got to the gate and heard Hebrew, before I even stepped foot in Israel, I could feel the connection. Something in your soul. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys are clearly the only Hebrew speakers of Holly, Minnesota. The oh. only Jews of Holly. Oh my God, within like 30 mile radius of Holly. We, we, had to, we went to Fargo for synagogue and there were no other Jews in the surrounding communities around us until you got to like the Fargo-Moorhead area. So it must have been just like, when I say instant connection, but it must have been such a special feeling. Describe how it unfolds and almost reaches a point where you contemplated staying there. You actually contemplated living in Israel. I did. Well, I mean, the, the connection was that strong. And I have family there that I hadn't seen. I had cousins. Um, and I mean, you've been on birthright, you know that that alone you're spending 10 days with these people and you become really connected with them as well yeah you bond quickly yeah so that was really i mean my parents raised me jewish and we we went to sunday school and we learned the holidays but it didn't even compare to stepping ground in the holy land and seeing it for myself and feeling how that felt so i spent 10 days and then i extended my trip to stay with family so by the time i left um i had seen most not most of the country, but a lot of the big sightseeing areas and reconnected with my family. And, you know, I'm in my early 20s thinking, I could really get used to this. Yeah, I could put down some roots here. Yeah. All right, here's the profound thought I had. Follow me with this. Because, yes, I did Birthright. It's a 10-day trip funded by American philanthropists or also Israeli philanthropists. I think both. And I even, the Israeli government even put some funding towards it yeah. it almost sounds too good to be true when i explain what this trip is to other people like of course why wouldn't you go and for years i didn't go because you know i was just your typical american reading the newspaper thinking that it was just all bombs bombs and more bombs mm -hmm. war it's there is war don't mm -hmm. get me wrong but i felt so safe and i remember towards the end of the trip feeling so sad and realizing oh i have to leave 
And I made the comment, I wish we were in Tel Aviv on the beach. And I was saying, I wish this was two hours from where I live. Mm-hmm. I was in San Diego at the time. And everyone on the trip disagreed with me. They said, no, then it wouldn't be as special. Do you agree that you have to make the like the pilgrimage? It has to be far away. Oh, it has yeah. to be this yeah. majestic land yeah, we'd take to be it that for special. Granted. We would take it for granted if it were close. And when you say take it for granted, that was my thought. If you moved there... How soon until you think you would have started taking it for granted? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think, um, I mean, it happened when I moved to San Luis Obispo. At first, it was this mystical, magical place. After three years, I was like, get me the hell out of here. Right. It happened when I, actually, the Bay Area was the first place I've moved that I haven't felt that towards. I probably take it for granted to a, to a degree, but there's, I feel like there's never-ending beauty and things to do here. So right, right. Um, I, I don't know. I wonder if I'd have that same feeling in Israel. But I've, I've talked to people who have moved there, and, um, and even my cousins who want to be, or my, my aunt actually wants them to be in America because it's not safe there for them. For, I mean, no one really feels sure. safe in Israel. Sure. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that feeling. I'm sure because I only spent, I never spent over a month at a time there. It would probably fade a little bit over time. I agree. And that that's kind of the way I or felt about norm. it. You realize this is still your intro. We're still introing <laughs> shooting. We're not even into the meat of it, the content. But just off the top of your head, where have you traveled outside of Israel? Just name the places you've been. Outside of Just the outside US? of the U.S. Where have you been? Uh, Canada. Canada. Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh, I went to Peru. I went to Costa Rica. Um, on my Israel trips, I traveled out to Jordan and Egypt and um, I think that's it yeah so for me it's just three Mexico Italy Israel oh Italy 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 hey, you forgot oh, about Italy sorry of course the most recent <laughs> um, but when I think about it and I never had that travel bug you know that feeling of I need to constantly get out and see more of the world I wish I did but you could make the comparison to a drug and when I say travel could feel like a drug it totally changes your mind. And then when you come back, you can't really describe the trip. You could show people photos. You can try to say, we saw this museum. We heard them speak this language. We saw this old, you know, ruin. It never works. Have you noticed that? You can never describe a place to somebody who hasn't been there and actually capture the feeling, the essence of what it was like to be there. And that's why I think traveling, and I relate this to Israel, it did feel like a bit of a drug. And then when you come down and you reassimilate to wherever you're from, it's weird that that feeling starts to go away. Mm-hmm. You could intellectualize it. You could look at the photo album and say, oh, there we are at Masada, or there we are at the wall, or there we are on the beaches of Tel Aviv. But the feeling, for me at least, it tends to go away, and I don't know where it goes. Yeah, I've even noticed that on the plane rides home. Mm-hmm. I, I went to Israel a few times back then, and, I, and in those trips I always got that feeling back. And then it felt those, you know, whenever you're on vacation, it feels like, like when we were in Italy, it felt like we were there for months. Right. It was just a 10 day trip. So then when I'm coming home, I always get this strange feeling of like being in, in between my two worlds and knowing that once I touch ground in America, that that world is going to just become kind of like a dream I had. Exactly. It feels like a dream. And, you know, I plan in my life, I do plan to travel a little more, but, and I almost wish that I had more of a desire to go to, you know, Thailand, Cambodia, see Africa, see Japan, and all these places, because I know it would just change my mind and change my mindset entirely. But I did read an article. I want to bring this up. I think there's two types of people in the world. People who think life is just going at a normal pace. You know, days are flowing naturally, and this is how long life feels. And then people who feel like it's going too quickly. 
Like all of a sudden it's my birthday again. It's this holiday again. I hear Muggsy just coughing at the door. Sorry. We have a 12 year old beagle who we have locked out of the podcast studio. Aww. And he is just scream coughing at the door. Should we let him in? Okay. Can be in sure. the background? This will be our second break. Let's let the dog in. He's just. Come on. Come on, pal. There we go. Okay, so I think, just getting back, two types of people. Those that feel like, of course, this is the pace of life. And then those that feel concerned like it's going too quickly. So I just Googled how to make uh, life feel like it's going slower. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing to Google. But it said, outside of mindful meditation, you got to try to add novel experiences. Take vacations. Take these trips. And like you just mentioned, we were in Italy for maybe 11 days. Mm -hmm. It felt like two months. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it rewires your mind. But if you just stay in your normal routine, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the city that you live, going to the job, hit the commute there, hit the commute there, dinner and do it again, it starts to make the weeks feel like the blink of an eye. Like they just go by so incredibly quickly where do you fall the type of person who says yeah life is kind of progressing naturally or do you ever have the panic feeling of oh shit we are getting older i don't want to say old but quickly and time is starting to pass at a rate that seems unnaturally scary yeah you know we've talked about this before and and how mindfulness can help and there are moments especially when i'm enjoying something so much that it feels like it's going too fast but Becoming a parent has, I, I've seen a, a quote out there, um, the days are long, but the years are short. Mm. So even though, and, and this is, so this is how I feel about it. The days are long and grueling. That's how that quote should go. <laughs> but the years are short. Yeah. So I feel like it just depends on what lens you're looking at it through. Because I look at my days right now, I'm home with a baby, you know, it's a lot of like routine and put her down for a nap, feed her, change her, put her down for a nap, feed her, change her. But Three months have gone by, and I feel like I blinked in three months. Exactly. Back. That's yeah. a quick three. So sometimes life feels like it's drawing on, especially when you're in a routine like that. But I think when you look back, like let's say you did a routine things for a week, and it felt long, but if you look back at that week after it's over, it it went by in a blink. It's important to reflect. Yeah, I think our minds are not in the present moment. It's weird that they're not wired that way. I wish they were. But you and I, you know, after this podcast, we'll be thinking about dinner or the next thing we're doing or reflect on something that previously happened. But if you could ever attain that mindset of just being present, Mm -hmm. then time doesn't feel like it's going as fast. It's so weird that the human brain is not wired that way to be in the present moment. It may happen for a minute a day. But for the most part, my mind, like I'll be driving to work and have a thought, a stupid thought, consume me. And all of a sudden, I'm not focused on the highway. I'm not focused on the music I'm listening to in the car. It's just a thought. And all of a sudden, I'm at work. And I go, what the fuck just happened? It felt like I was driving for 20 seconds mm-hmm. and I got here. An so, autopilot. Autopilot mode, yeah. exactly. That's dangerous. Some people live their lives in autopilot <laughs> mode. As you can tell, I'm hyper aware, hyper scared of it. Yeah. Well, we learned, we actually learned about that in uh, my neuroscience class. It is a thing, autopilot, where you you do something so many times you can go into autopilot, like your drive to work. But the minute something changes, like something that doesn't usually happen, an accident on the side of the road, you snap out of it. It's weird. Okay, so to get to, I think, the depth of this topic, you know who Steve Wozniak is? 
He was the guy, the other Steve was Steve Jobs when they created Apple in the 70s. He did a TED Talks, and if I watch TED Talks, I get to sound smart. Uh, but he said, we have advanced society with man-made um, advancements. You know, of course, Apple computer, it plays a role in so many people's lives. Uh, but he went back even further, you know, a washing machine, a microwave, uh, all these little inventions uh, were supposed to make our lives easier. You know, think about the Industrial Revolution, any invention... Um, even paving roads, you know, and pasteurizing beverages, all these things, I know those are weird things to bring mm. up, but think of something, just a kitchen appliance, a blender, a toaster, a dishwasher, all these things were supposed to make life easier. But Steve Wozniak said, it didn't, we don't feel like our lives are easier right now. Do you, do you feel like because you own a smartphone, your life has become easier? No, most of the time, no. Why is that though? Here you are, you are in a situation where everything's at the, you know, grasp of our fingertips. I think the demand is higher now. Like you have a dishwasher, now there's a higher demand to have the dishes washed all the time. <laughs> you have an iPhone information at your fingertips, the demand is higher now to have that knowledge. Whereas before, like you and I would ponder something. Now we just Google it. In the past, we would ask ourselves a question and, and have to really think about the answer. So I think that things are just so easily accessible now that uh, or just reaching out to someone you know you could write a handwritten letter right and it would take you a week or two to get back to someone that way I mean this is ancient times before telephone but um, telephone and now, forgot to mention that one <laughs> that little one and now you know people expect you to text back right away email back right away so. yeah so we've taken every invention and then it's become mainstream and then it's caused us to live in a way that feels like, hey, there he is. Oh, my God. My <laughs> dog just ran into the lamp. I'm certain that he's blind. I just learned. We have breaking news on the Here We Go podcast. My old beagle just ran right into the lamp. Yep. All right. We lost a sense. I think he... Nope. No hearing. Definitely has touch. Taste is his best. And smell will keep him alive for 20 more years. But there goes the sight, folks. There goes the he site. has taste, his quality of life is intact. <laughs> he didn't even realize that he would be playing a role in this recording. Okay, so I'm going to rewind. From all this, Steve Wozniak is bringing up that here we are in society today. You and I probably feel busier than ever. We're more stressed out than ever. But it was all supposed to be easier by now. Every invention, you know, vehicles, cars, uh, flight, it was supposed to make everything so much easier. However, we fucked up. And this is why when I look at your bookshelf, I go, I got to get Shani on my podcast because I look at my bookshelf and it's funny that even though we're married, we keep our books separate. <laughs> you, you look at mine, you see David Spade, Norm MacDonald, you know, Hank Aaron, all these sports and comedy books, Sarah Silverman's book. And then you look on Shani's and it's, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about uh, black holes, Stephen Hawking, you know, traveling through Egypt. So because I know that you've read Sapiens, because I think you could explain it in a way that's at least comprehensible to me. But how did we as humans fuck up and make life busier? The agricultural revolution. Yes. This is, trust me, this is not science class. This is just something that I think we all need to trace back and understand. Well, I'm going to tell you all to go maybe read this part of the book. I'll also I'm, I'm say... I'm going to give probably a crappy summary. I'll do my best. But talk to me like an eight-year-old, as Michael <laughs> Scott would say in the office. Just talk to me like an eight-year-old. So go back to hunters and gatherers. Well, hunters and gatherers spent very little time hunting and gathering as much as they did, uh, you know, relaxing with their tribe. And then the agricultural revolution changed all that and all this, 
not all of a sudden this took place over thousands of years. <laughs> I like all of a sudden. It's a better storytelling <laughs> phrase. That all of a sudden. <laughs> Once we became agricultural beings and started uh, tilling and plowing, that our workday became 8, 10, 12 hours, and we had to work so hard to get food on the table. Before, we... We also, we were hunters and gatherers. We were also kind of nomads. We would travel around and look for food that way. And when we became, ag- when we became agricultural, we had to kind of stay in one place to wh- where our fields were. So um, To plan. The idea of planning ahead, right? Yeah. What's tilling, by the way? I want to pretend that I know. <laughs> have you ever tilled? Because you did say the word till. People have tilled. Do you know what it means? I, I so don't. I Term. It is a farming term, but if someone said, hey, could you just go till for a bit in the farm? Would you know what the hell? No, I'd have to clarify. They were referencing? Okay, but the point is we went from a pretty chill lifestyle as homo sapiens, as humans. We could have. We could have said, we're not going to advance. We're just going to chill in this hunter-gatherer mindset mm-hmm. and have a lot of time to stay present and enjoy friendships and family. But instead, the idea of having an agricultural revolution was supposed to be easier on us, right? Yes. Well, I think the idea of being able to um, make your own crops wherever you need them. Um, So you could plant your own field. You want it here. You're going to plant it here rather than hunting and gathering where you had to go out and seek it. Mm -hmm. You always had your crops right there next to you. So in that sense, I guess it was supposed to be easier. But why wasn't it? Because it takes work to to keep a field up and running. But I thought the whole point was... That because agricultural uh, farming meant that you have to plan ahead for next season because we're trying to feed more people. You're not just feeding yourself, but entire societies are now going to rely on farming. That it meant that you don't have as much downtime anymore. Sorry. (laughs) Please know that. (laughs) Fuck. Okay. I don't even think any of that made sense then. All right. Three more things while I have you here. Okay. Number one, documentary that we could see on Netflix. It's a bunch of episodes called Planet Earth. (laughs) Yep. Okay, Planet Earth, this idea of zoom out when you have a little problem. Like, think about the littlest thing that bugs you. I told you, when a pen doesn't have ink, I freak out. I, like, have one to two seconds of absolute rage that I have to throw that pen away and find another. You today were untangling iBud or earbud headphones, (laughs) and I heard you go, God, fuck! (laughs) Like, you really lost your cool for a moment. And then, let's be honest. You take a step back, you zoom out, and you say, okay, I guess these are just earbuds. Like, what am I doing getting so wound up about a little thing for, right? Yeah. Okay, like when you turn the sink on in the water at our apartment for some reason, is always scolding hot immediately. It pisses you off. I guess that could be a big problem. And really strong flow, it sprays all over the place. You're right. It's a little much. So if you zoom out to the perfect distance, it's good for your mindset, right? But I felt like planet Earth, had me zoomed out so far, things I didn't really want to see. I thought I wanted to see gazelles in nature. I thought I wanted to see prairie dogs, you know, just roaming. But instead, it gave me this sense of panic. I have no clue why. Do you understand why seeing something like that made me feel so tiny and insignificant when really in life we're supposed to want to matter after watching one episode of Planet Earth? Actually, I don't even think I made it. Muggsy, shut the fuck up. You didn't make it. Why didn't we let him in the room? Okay, here comes another cough barf. This is what he's He's, great at. He's old. It's true, but guests come over, they think he's barfing. He's just coughing. He has reflux. Reflux. Yeah, it sounds like barf. Or GERD or something. He's fine. Okay, good. So you we're did supposed not make to, it through the I whole didn't episode. make it through an episode. No. Why? My heart started to beat. I'd never seen the planet 
by the way, the cinematography was so beautiful. I'll give it that. Yes. Well, that's why I love it. I think it's beautiful, and it reminds me how vast our world is. And I guess that can be scary. It's kind of like I saw something online, a video of zooming out from someone's pupil, and they kept zooming out and zooming out. So then you saw the, the pupil was a person, the person was in a park, the park was in a city, the mm. city was in a you know the state, and they zoomed all the way out to the galaxies. And um, too far. It, See, I would want to zoom out it, medium. I think it had the same. It was kind of that same effect this had on you that it made you feel insignificant, insignificant. like a speck of sand. But that's it's supposed to be a good thing because then you're realizing, wow, my problems. That pen that didn't work, it didn't matter at all compared to you know this big wide world we live in. The vast world. But if I zoomed out too far, it had the adverse effect. And all my students were like, "You'll love it. It's amazing." Um, and I bet it is fun. Like, I bet in college it's a big stoner viewing to watch Planet Earth. I mean, it's pretty amazing the way they film it, and they must just plant cameras all over the place and just wait and wait and wait, and plants grow and animals, you know, fight, live, and die. It's pretty fascinating, but it had such a weird effect on me. I don't know why. All right, so without giving our address away, you and I are in a weird situation right now where we live in the same apartment complex that we lived in when we first moved in together, yet we've moved four times, four times. within the same apartment complex. Okay, so let's alternate describing why. I'm going to start with the first. Okay. Then you'll say the second, then I'll say the third, and then you'll try to explain where we currently are. Um, so the first move, I came home from work and there was a sign on the door that basically said, get the fuck out. And I think we were about to get married. We it were three months it, from the wedding. Not even. I think, oh no, the, the date we had to be out yeah, it said was you, you gotta the be day out. after our wedding. And I was sure that you were a drug dealer and they finally <laughs> caught you. I had no clue. I had to read the fine print and they were renovating patios. So they said, we'll displace you. And then I said, uh, can you just find another apartment? But for a moment, I thought we were being evicted. So they found mm-hmm. us another apartment. We literally moved 50 yards away. We got movers without a truck. Okay. So that's our first move. Then why did we move again? This was the easiest move. Not the easiest, but the easiest to explain. We got pregnant. So We did. Do yeah. we say that? Like we, couples. We got pregnant? Couples get pregnant? I've heard that before. We got pregnant. It's more politically correct. All right, I got pregnant. Should he ended up Josh getting pregnant? Josh got me pregnant. So <laughs> we went, we decided we needed a two-bedroom. And we looked all over the place. Our plan was not necessarily to stay. No, we're on Craigslist. The Agony of Craigslist could be a great documentary. Yeah, we spent months looking for a two-bedroom. And slowly came to realize that this is the best place we could find, the best bang for our buck. Yeah, I don't think it was laziness. We were like, yeah, let's just stay here. They no, were cool. We, we weren't lazy about that at all. We were looking at other apartments. We were online every day. We yeah. were trying to move to Holly. What do you think rent is in Holly for a one-bed, <laughs> one-bath apartment? $58 a month. $58 in Holly, Minnesota. <laughs> okay, so we stayed here, but we moved into a unit, whereas we're, and we did get a truck this time to go 100 yards. And as we moved into this unit, I'll never forget this moment. We're putting our boxes down. We're, you know, putting the couch down, the lamps down, the television down. And I heard this booming sound shake my skull. And it was just because the guy upstairs had surround sound. But it was like PTSD. I don't know why it hit me like this. But when I lived in San Diego, I had the same exact situation. To me, it sounded like a bee buzzing. Just a bee. A bee buzzing. To me, it was the end of the world. Straight Armageddon. (laughs) I felt like we were going to war. And I realize I have auditory sensitivity. It's a real condition. Yeah. 
Um, I like to make it sound dramatic. Like when I'm at the movie theater, I could hear people chewing popcorn, but I fucking can. You can. He can. I it's can't. not a joke. I can't go to a movie in the theater anymore. I'm the worst date now. Restaurants are uh, a challenge. <laughs> you know something? This guy probably shouldn't go outside. Restaurants are no good. He doesn't do great in a mall either. Yeah, I wouldn't take him in a car. Okay, so it was so loud. And this is the moment where you're supposed to be so excited that you're moving into a new place. You're pregnant. This is going to be where we raise our baby. Yeah. 15 minutes into it, I have a full-blown panic attack. And I barely share that with you. The very next day, though, and we could hear every footstep. She might put herself back to sleep. But I think we're good. Nice. Go down with your erratic sleep patterns. Seriously. They don't tell you this. When they congratulate you for being pregnant, they don't tell you that you'll be tortured by the sleep patterns of those lovely newborns. No. And if they do, I, I think I just shrugged it off. Right. Okay, so real quick. Uh, we go into this next apartment. It's not pretty. There was like, you know, very little view, and I pretended that there was a view. It was like kind of a mound of dirt, and I was like, it's kind of like a hillside view. It wasn't. Uh, but once I heard every footstep this guy took, and it creates rage. You saw me. Mm-hmm. It became a situation where you could not be around me, and I think one or two days later, as you were unloading the cups into the cupboard, I looked at you and said, I will never live here. Yep, and I was seven months pregnant. I was exhausted from the move. And I looked at him and I burst into tears. Burst let me, into tears. Let me say though, even though I joke that I, it sounded like a bee buzzing, that was just the surround sound. This guy's footsteps were like thunder. So that that Thank got you. that got to me as well. After a couple days, I was like, this is not, this is this isn't gonna work. Thank you. So after I, you know, drew a line in the sand, I put down the gauntlet. I said, I'm never living here. I tried to be, you know, authoritative <laughs> husband. I'm never living here. As you're standing on a chair, putting away glasses, thinking we're going to live here for the next two years, you start to cry. I think I went on my ninth dog walk of the day just to get the fuck out. And then I called the moving company. I started to schedule the move. You said, I'm not lifting another box. You can move us, Josh, but I'm not doing a damn thing. And you, I said, fine. Yeah, well, you offered. You you said you don't have to lift another box. You can have not Because I had to go back to work. I didn't, you know. And, and we signed a contract. And and we had a, we had signed a lease. So I, I thought, well, first of all, I have nothing left to move again. So you're on your own. And second, good luck getting out of that lease. Do you remember what the cost was to break the contract? $7,000. $7,000. I remember that vividly. And looking at that number, you know, any other time of life, that's too much of a price. This time I was like, we'll find it. We'll, we'll both get other Josh jobs. I thought it was worth every penny. Yeah, I'll start gambling on sports. <laughs> I was like, let's take a trip to Tahoe. Let's play some craps. I was thinking, there's a way. There is a way. I started Googling how to make $7,000 in a weekend. Um, but instead, I found a loophole. My buddy who's a lawyer, I gave him the contract. And there was something about like medical condition. Like if it, if it was... Oh, yeah, it was um, the Mer- uh, American Disabilities Act. Okay. Um, it's called Reasonable Accommodations. So people with uh, certain disabilities... What do I have? Acute? Medical diagnoses can have reasonable accommodations made for them to, to help boost their quality of life and make living easier. Now, in all honesty... Within reasonable... Within reason. So right. they, you can't make a landlord like build you an elevator if you're in a wheelchair. But they can move you to a lower level, yada, yada, make some adjustments. Or an upper level to know that there would be nobody above us. Well, for us... Yeah, so you're... you're um... I'm still wondering, did I lie? 
Like I said, I have migraines, I have acute auditory sensitivity. I was making up all this stuff based on what I was Googling, but it's a real condition, yeah? Well, yeah, I, so it I, worked. I didn't know, I mean, auditory sensitivity. I didn't know it was an actual <laughs> diagnosis. You're like, really? Don't but you mean you just hear things? What, what, the reason you weren't lying is that one I was kind of like, eh, I it don't know if work. that's going to work. But you do have migraines. Good. You do get migraines. Good. So that wasn't a lie. This is great then that I get migraines because... Someone pounding on the roof is going to cause migraines. Okay, so who knew migraines would be such a gift? Because now where we live, it's heaven. Yeah, so we told we told the landlords he gets migraines. This living situation is going to trigger migraines. We cannot live this way. And um, they gave us an ADA reasonable accommodations form, filled it out. And here we are. And yada, yada, yada. Like Elaine Bennis would say from Seinfeld, I have a podcast studio. And this is elaborate. This is really glamorous, would you say? So I put one of your blankets from when you were a kid (laughs) over an end table with this microphone. I have two cups of tea out. Uh, My dog, I'm pretty sure he's knocked himself out after running full speed into the lamp, but I'm not being attentive. Our baby's probably crying her eyes out. All right, two things. Shinny, I'm going to give you this or that. Okay. All right. If for the rest of your life, you could only watch one show, but your options were Seinfeld or Family Guy, where are you going? Seinfeld. Okay. You have two options. You'll take Seinfeld reruns over Family Guy reruns. Yes. All right, two things you quote very, very often. Okay, and if you could only travel to one more country for the rest of your life to get that drug, that travel high, would you go to a place you've already been, or would you take a chance on a place you've never been just based on word of mouth, reputation, or whatever you looked up on the internet? You mean this is the only place I could go? You have one more trip. It's abroad. One more more trip. And you could schedule, it could be a three-month trip. Would you select a place you've already been and say, now that I've been there, I know how to navigate it? Or based on word of mouth or photos that you've seen, would you pick a new location? I'd go back to my roots every time I would go to Israel. Back to Israel. Yep. Oh, I think I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe one day, one day, one day. Is that a Matis Yahoo lyric? Not, Not at all? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to bring it full circle. I don't know. Maybe. Is he even Israeli? No, he's probably from Ohio. All right, Shani, thanks for coming in. I'll let you now tend to our child. Okay. Thanks for having me.